0: Amen, amen. You guys may have a seat. Have a seat. Welcome, everybody, to the Vineyard. My name is Christian Erd. I'm the associate pastor here at the Vineyard. It's so good to be with you guys this morning. And before I jump in, I just wanted to highlight one announcement. You know, as I've been praying over the last several weeks and discussing and talking through vision with Pastor Tom, and as he's been praying, we. We have a sense from the Lord that the Lord is asking us in the coming weeks to prioritize prayer as, as a church. And so we're going to be, be prioritizing prayer here in a, a couple different ways. Number one, beginning in, in the middle of March, we're going to take a two-week period where we're going to have morning prayer from 7.30 to 8.30 a.m. Tuesday through Friday for two weeks in a row. And we're going to gather and we're going to worship and we're going to pray for our city and we're going to pray for our church over those two weeks. And so I know everybody's schedule is different. You know, you might be at work before that time and that's fine. But for those of us who have flexible schedules or for those of us who aren't at work that early, I would really encourage you to come out. That's going to be starting March 19th. And we're going to go Tuesday through Friday and then the following Tuesday through Friday as well. Just pressing in and asking the Lord to move in our midst. And then our, our second initiative is a, admittedly a, a bit riskier. We're, we're going to attempt uh, in the, the week leading up to Palm Sunday to pray for 48 hours straight as a church. And here's what this is going to look like. We're, we're going to have opportunities to. To sign up in the lobby in the coming weeks for one-hour slots in which you can come and, and pray for an hour. We're going to convert the room uh, upstairs uh, above our sanctuary into a into a prayer room, and you're going to have the opportunity to sign up for a, an hour slot or two hours or three hours, or you know you make up your mind, and, and you're going to be able to to pray and, and be a part of this prayer event in which we're going to be praying for our city and praying for this church for 48 hours. In a row, because we, we want to see the Lord move in our midst. We, we want to see God's kingdom come. We want to see his spirit moving in our midst. And so we know that that starts with prayer. And, and word to the wise, you know, I've, I've been in a part of events like this in the past. And, and if I were you, I, I, would be, I would be really trying to get a hold of those 1 a.m. and 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. prayer slots. Like that 1 to 5 a.m., that, that is just a hot spot. And if you're someone who just wants a boost, wants to connect with the Lord, that's where I would start, just that 2 a.m., 3 a.m. window, because I think you're going to find that the Lord loves to show up in, in contexts like that. And so we'll be rolling the, these things out in the coming weeks and be talking more about them uh, in the weeks ahead. But I wanted to put this on your radar now. All right. Well, over the last few weeks, we, we've been walking through a leadership series that we've called Lead Where You Are. And one of the main themes of this series, you might remember, is that all of us are are called to lead because all of us are, are called to influence others, whether or not there's a name or a title behind our name or not. Leadership is influence, John Maxwell has said. Nothing more and nothing less. And so to the extent that we are influencing those around us, to the extent that we are influencing people at our school, people at our home, our extended family and friends, to to the extent that we are influencing people at our jobs, we are leading others, whether for good or for ill. So we want to be people who lead well. We want to be people who influence others in positive ways, who speak life in other people, who encourage others others. Now, over the last two weeks, we've been looking at at Paul's last recorded letter. It was a a letter that we've called Second Timothy, and it was a letter he wrote to his young mentee, Timothy, in which he urged Timothy to keep on leading and to keep pressing in despite the the suffering that he would inevitably experience. And so the last couple weeks have have felt like a, a little bit of a locker room speech. From Paul, that Paul knows that his time is limited. He knows that his, his execution is, is coming at any moment. And so this is his last opportunity. This is his last chance to speak to his young mentee. And so, again, it feels like a, almost like a halftime locker room speech. Paul has been urging Timothy to fan his gift into flames, to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, to suffer like a good soldier for Christ to compete like an athlete who's attempting to win a crown, to persevere like a farmer who's, who's waiting for the harvest. It's incredibly challenging, incredibly motivating passages. But in the middle of 2 Timothy 2, Paul changes courses for a bit. Paul pivots from his locker room speech, and here in verses 8 to 13 that we're going to be reading today, he begins to highlight for Timothy... And for us, how we might actually find the motivation to live sacrificial, passionate, fully surrendered lives. It's not enough to know what we're supposed to do. We need to know how to, actually, how to actually get there. You know, if you've been around church for a while, my guess is that you're probably aware of what's being asked of you as you attempt to live out the Christian life. But here in the, the middle of 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul lays out for us how we, how we actually get there. How we can find the motivation that we need to live fully surrendered, sacrificial lives for our king. And So why don't we pray? Why don't we pray and then we'll open up to 2 Timothy 2 and look at, look at these practices that motivate us as leaders. So let's pray. Come Holy Spirit. Invite you, Holy Spirit. God, you know my need for you. And I just pray that even now, God, you would fill me afresh. You would put power on my words. That you would help me to teach your word correctly. And I pray, God, that you would meet people today, God. That even now, you would increase the sense of expectation in the room. That you are a God who meets us where we're at. You're a God who meets us. And so I pray right now, in Jesus' name, that you would come and speak fresh words of life. Fresh words of encouragement, of challenge, of conviction, God. Come, Holy Spirit. We need you, Father. We need you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8-13. through 13. As I said, this is what we read. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. In this passage, Paul lays out for us the three practices that help provide the motivation that we need to live sacrificially. So let's let's look at these practices in turn. Here's number one, if you're keeping score. To begin, Paul tells us that sacrificial leaders, they reflect on their Savior continually. It's our first point. Sacrificial leaders, they just reflect on their Savior continually. Let's read verse 8 again. Remember, Paul says, Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. Paul tells Timothy that if he's going to endure suffering and sacrifice for the gospel, he's got to remember Jesus. And, And the tense of the word remember in the Greek, it it doesn't suggest a, a one time act, but rather a, a continual, ongoing act. Paul's saying, in effect, keep remembering Jesus. Keep remembering Jesus throughout your day. Keep remembering Jesus throughout the week. Keep remembering Jesus throughout the course of your life. Remember Jesus' kindness to you. Remember how kind he is, how gracious he is. Remember his mercy. He does not treat you as your sins deserve. Remember that He suffered for you, that He took the punishment that you deserve, that I deserve, on Himself, on the cross, that you might be forgiven. Remember that He arose victorious from the dead, and that He is now seated at the right hand of the Father, guaranteeing that as His followers, we too will one day rise from the dead. Remember that He's for you. Remember that He's pursuing you. Remember that He he wants you to remain in Him. Remember Jesus, Paul says. Corey Ten Boom, who's an absolutely remarkable woman, she said this. She said, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. In other words, if the devil can't drive you to sin, and let's be honest, he's got a pretty good track record of doing that, right? He'll attempt to fill up your life with so much stuff that you just can't, can't see Jesus through the midst of it. So many tasks, so many to-dos, so many pressing needs that, that you just lose sight of Jesus throughout the course of your day. You know, from the moment that we wake up, we are bombarded by potential distractions, aren't we? We're late for work and we're rushing to get in the shower before we... We get there, and we've we got the news playing on in the background, and we're trying to get you know, 10 minutes of the news before, before rushing off to work, and we've got six texts already on our phone that we haven't responded to, and we're afraid to open up our email because of what might potentially be lurking there. You know, it's, it's 8 a.m. We're already bombarded by the needs of the day. If the devil can't make you bad, it's going to make you busy. Now, it's important not to over-spiritualize here, but I don't think that, that any of us should be surprised that when we attempt to sit down and read our Bible, when we attempt to, to pray, that we are just absolutely bombarded by the needs of our kids or the texts on our phone or all of the, all of the tasks that we've forgotten about until this very moment that now seems so pressing and so important. You know, I, I meet with Jesus first thing when I wake up. I meet with Jesus early in the day, not because I think that it's inherently more spiritual to meet with Jesus in the morning, but simply because I know this is the only window, that window when my, my wife and my son are still asleep, where I'm, I'm going to be able to meet with Jesus without, without fear of, of being interrupted. Where we're just bombarded with needs and problems and tasks. It is a real fight to keep remembering Jesus, to keep our eyes on him throughout the busyness of our days. It's just a fight. Anyone who's, who's been here and tried to follow Jesus for the long haul, you know this. It seems so simple, but it is a fight to keep our eyes on Jesus. You know, one of the prayers that I, I've been praying lately is, as I, I wake up in the morning is, God, I, I just don't want to miss you today. I don't want to miss you. I, I, I don't want to run past you pursuing all the potentially good things that I want to get done today, or the people that I want to meet with, or the, the people I want to, to try to help. I, I don't want to miss you amidst the, the busyness of this day. We all know what it's like to, to pursue full speed ahead and just miss Jesus in the course of our day. One of the, the most informative passages for me in in all of the Old Testament, occurs in Exodus chapter 33. In Exodus 33, God tells the Israelites that he is going to send them to the promised land, but that he's not going to go with them. You see, in Exodus 32, the the chapter before, Moses was was on top of Mount Sinai with God. He was receiving from God the Ten Commandments. And down below, the foot of the mountain, the... Israelites were just running off the rails. They, they were worshiping a golden calf. They were worshiping this false god, this false idol. And so God, he comes to the Israelites and he says, look guys, I, I'm going to send you to the promised land. I'm going to answer your prayers. I, I'm going to send you to the land I promised to give to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, but I'm not going with you. Like I, this ain't happening. And... And Moses, upon hearing God's plan, begs God not to abandon his people. This is what he says in in Exodus 33, verses 12-17. through He says, Then, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Now here, here's why this passage is so significant for me, guys. This passage shows us that it is absolutely possible to enter the promised land, to have all of your prayers seemingly answered, and yet lose the promise giver. It, it is possible to have all of your prayers answered, relatively, and, and yet lose the one who's who's answered your prayers. You you know, it's not unusual for someone to read a book about what God is doing in other parts of the world or or to visit themselves, a different part of the world, to head to sub-Saharan Africa or to head to India or to head to China and, and to come back from that experience of spending time in another country or reading a book about what God is doing in another country, just lamenting the state of the church in the West or the state of the church in the U.S., because those of you who have you know, experienced Christians in, in slums in India or, or in the underground church in China or have read about them, you know that it, it just almost feels like a, a different brand of Christianity. There's a different feel to it. There's an urgency there. There's a fervor there. There's a different flavor to it than one we often experience in, in the West and specifically in the United States when we talk about church or when we talk about following Jesus. And you know, if you were to ask me, why is there often such, such a discrepancy between the church in the West and the church in other parts of the world, I would say that, that in the West, many of us ha- have Entered the metaphorical promised land and yet lost sight of the promise giver. We are part of the most comfortable and affluent society in the world. We are living in the proverbial land of milk and honey. Where where most of our needs, at least materially, are just met. And even those of us who are in the church, we've just lost sight of the promise giver. So my my prayer for myself, guys, my prayer for this church is that we would become people who say, God, you can take it all away. You can take away my house. You can take away my health. You can take away my job. You can take away the promised land. But do not take away your presence from me. Do not take away your your presence from me. You can take it all. But please help me not to miss you amidst the busyness of my day. I don't want the promised land if it doesn't include you. George Whitfield, who's one of my heroes and helped usher in revival both in England and the U.S. in the 1700s, he said this. I love this quote. He said, Lord, when you see me in danger of nestling down, put a thorn in my nest. <laughs> yeah. And what are, what are you saying is, it, God, if, if you see me just becoming so comfortable, just enjoying the promised land, enjoying answered prayer, that, that my eyes begin to to wander away from you, put put a thorn, put a problem in my life that that would cause me to to turn my attention back towards you. And some of you right now, you you might have a thorn in your nest. You might have a a real thorn. And and by no means would I I want to minimize the pain, the suffering, the struggle that you're going through, or even attempt to to believe that I, I know what that is like. But I also know that sometimes God brings thorns to help us in our desire to turn our attention to him. Paul tells us that if we want to be people who are willing to make sacrifices for our God, we need to keep remembering Jesus. We need to remember him through prayer. We need to remember him through turning to his word. We need to turn our attention, our affections to him throughout the course of the day. Sacrificial leaders, they reflect on their Savior continually. And secondly, sacrificial leaders, they reflect on the power of God. On the power of God. Let's read verse 9 and 10. This is my gospel, Paul says, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with the eternal glory. Paul tells us that he's in prisons. He's chained to a wall and he's suffering, and yet he's willing to keep pressing on, to keep serving because he says, The word of God cannot be chained. That is to say, Paul's saying, Look, look, you can chain me, you can beat me, but I, I know one thing for certain, and that, that is God's will will still be done. God's purposes will be accomplished. That that the attack of the enemy, the attack of this world, cannot thwart the purposes and the plans of God. God's word it cannot be chained. And so Paul says, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. I endure everything for the sake of those who will respond positively to the gospel. I keep pushing. I keep proclaiming the gospel. I keep preaching. I keep telling other people about Jesus because I know no matter what happens to me, God's Word can't be chained. His his purposes can't be thwarted. You know, one of the greatest lies followers of Jesus often believe is that God can't or won't use us because of our inadequacy or because of our lack of gifting. We just assume that God is going to use other people, people over there who are smarter and more intelligent and more charismatic. There's always people over there. I don't know where over there is necessarily, but it, it, it's certainly not me. God's not going to use my life. But of course, all we have to do is open up our Bibles, of course, to, to find that God loves using the inadequate. He loves using the weak. He loves using the feeble. And so some of us have to ask ourselves the question this morning, is God powerful enough to use someone as powerless as me? Is God powerful enough, the God of the universe who created everything you can see? Is he powerful enough to use an instrument as weak or feeble as you, as me? Because when we just assume that God can't use us, that is really an affront to the majesty and the glory and the power of our God who who is so strong, so capable, so wise so competent that he can use even the weakest of instruments. Let us not hide behind false humility or fear and so limit what God wants to do with us. You know, John Wimber, who helped found the Vineyard Movement, some of you are familiar with him, he used to say, do not say that God can't use you to heal someone until you've prayed for 500 people. And what what he meant was that he, he knew most of us, that the most of us, you know, we believe theologically or philosophically that God still wants to heal today. And so we, you know, we step out and we pray for someone at home group, or you pray for someone at church, or maybe you're really bold and you pray for someone at work, and, and nothing happens. We pray maybe a half dozen times, a dozen times, but, but, you know, revival doesn't occur, and so then we say, well, God doesn't use me. That, to, to heal other people. And so you stop praying for people, become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, God doesn't use me to heal others because I don't ask anyone to pray for them. And you know, if, if the Apostle Paul were up here right now, if he, he was standing in, in front of us, I think he would say, you know, do not assume that God can't use you to lead other people to Jesus by sharing your faith with them until you've shared your faith with 500 people. Do not assume that God can't use you because you're not knowledgeable enough or you're not intelligent enough or you're not holy enough because God's word cannot be chained. And he can use vessels as weak as you and as weak as me. Now, now you might be saying, okay, Christian, that's, that's all fine. That's, I, I, I get it, but you got to understand, I mean, you went to seminary for three years. You probably had to take classes on this stuff and... Like You're kind of quirky and weird already, and so you're probably just used to people thinking that you're weird. And so awkward conversations just probably come a lot more naturally to you. And, you know, I I haven't read all the way through my Bible, and I have a lot of questions still myself, and I I wouldn't know where to begin if you said, why don't you share your faith with other people? I just don't even know where I would start. And so if that's where you're at, let me just quickly... Just give you three, three ways that you can begin to, to share your faith with others. There are three steps that are going to help you as you seek to do this. Three just really low bar ways that you can grow in, in sharing your faith. I, I've shared these with you before, but I think it's worth, I think they're worth mentioning again. Number one, as I've said in the past, you want to share your faith with, with someone, just begin to pray each morning. God, would you bring opportunities into in, my life? you're going to find pretty quickly that these are prayers that God loves to answer. God, would you open up doors? Would you just throw opportunities into my lap where it's just really easy for me to share my faith with other people? And, and you know, that that's a that's an amazing prayer to pray. And it's sometimes in the morning, if I'm honest, I almost don't want to pray it because I know God is just so good at answering it. Not that I'd ever have a day in which I didn't. You know, feel like talking to other people <laughs> but just, hypothetically, so begin to pray, ask God to, to provide you with opportunities. Secondly, just begin to ask people to pray for them that 's really easy. you know if you become a good listener at your job, if you become a good listener on the playground when you 're hanging out with other moms you 're going to find pretty quickly that people people love to just download onto you all of their problems. Just unload onto you all of the issues that they've got going on in their life. People, if they find a a listening ear, typically will have no no issue with with sharing with you what they're walking through, how they're struggling. And so if you become a good listener, if you become someone who who has credibility and is is trustworthy, people will share with you. And then in that moment, you can simply say, hey, I, I know this is a little maybe outside your comfort zone, or this is a little unique, but I would love to pray for you right now. I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I would love to just pray for you. And inevitably, what they'll say is, yeah, please, pray for me. And then you have to say, no, I mean, like, right now. Can, can I, right now, you know, when we're standing in front of our recycling bins, having just brought them to the, can I pray for you? And so just just begin to to ask people to pray for them. I mean, the worst thing they can say is no, and maybe you 're saying, yeah, but you don 't understand like if I start praying for people at my office like i 'm going to become the office pariah i 'm going to become the person that people avoid because there 's the awkward guy that tried to pray for me, maybe, but you know in my own experience and the experience of many of my friends as we've we 've shared anecdotes over the year this is this is typically what happens that you ask someone to pray for them and maybe maybe they say yes and you pray and and, and maybe nothing happens. Maybe they don't seem encouraged at all, and they leave your office, but inevitably, three minutes, or three months, rather, four, four months, five months down the road, that person runs into an issue. You know, their marriage is rocky, or their kids' running off the rails, or their mom was just diagnosed with cancer, and inevitably, you get a knock on your cubicle, or you get a knock on your office, and, and that very same person, four, five, six months down the road, comes and they says, "Hey, hey!" Can, can we talk? That they remember you offering to pray for them three, four, five, six months prior, a year prior. You, you want to begin to share your faith, just start asking people to pray for them. And then thirdly, just get used to sharing your story. Two minutes, three minutes. When people ask you about your, your life, when people hopefully ask why you don't engage in the The office drama or the office gossip, you can say, well, this is what happened to me. Two years ago, three years ago, five years ago, I I met Jesus. And this is what he's done in my life. This is how he freed me from addiction. This is how he freed me from shame. This is how he freed me from self-pity. He saved me. He forgave me. And I, I know now that I'm loved by God can just share your story. You don't have to get into politics. You don't have to talk about why, why, you know, your, your flavor of Christianity or your, your branch of Christianity is better than whatever they grew up in. You know, you can just just share your story. Here's what God has done in my life. You pray and ask God for opportunities. You ask to pray for people. You share your story. You are going to find if you're willing to, to wade through that initial awkwardness. That God's word is not chained and that God can use you despite the fact that you still don't have everything figured out. Listen, if, if you're saying to yourself right now, I'm going to wait until I have a little bit more confidence in my own abilities before I serve in kids ministry, before I serve in the high school ministry, before I start sharing my faith with my coworkers, I, I think you're going to be waiting for a ship that's never going to arrive. You know, all leaders struggle with inadequacy. All leaders feel like we're just trying to build the plane in midair and don't don't have everything figured out. That, That just comes with being a leader. That just comes with the territory. So we have to be people who say, God is powerful enough to use someone as powerless as me. Sacrificial leaders, they reflect regularly on the power of God. And then lastly, sacrificial leaders reflect on their coming reward. Let's read verses 11 through 13. We'll get ready to close. Here is a trustworthy saying, Paul says, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Now, most scholars believe that verse 11 through 13 was actually an early Christian hymn. And in this hymn, we're told that the Christians who, who died with Christ, that is, men and women who willingly surrender their lives, that they will live with him for all eternity. And that those who endure, those who, who follow Jesus for the long haul, who give their lives to his mission, they're going to reign or rule with him in the New Jerusalem. This is, this is amazing here, what we're reading. In 1952, Florence Chadwick, she tried to swim from Catalina Island to the coast of California. And it's a a swim that would take about 15 hours in total. She would have to endure choppy waters, the dangers of potential shark attacks, that would be enough for me to say (laughs) no go, and extreme fatigue. Now during her her first attempt, a, a thick fog set in so that she could no longer see the california coast and it, it brought fear it brought discouragement she she had nothing to guide her way and so she eventually she gave up two minutes two minutes two months later she attempted the the same feat she tried to swim the 15 hours it would take to get her from catalina island to california and this time once again a, a thick fog set in so that she could no longer see the coast and yet she was able to make it and so the reporters they asked her how, how were you able to make it particularly when you, the fog was with you again and this is what she said she said the first time all I could see was the fog the second time I kept a mental image of that shoreline in my mind while I swam you know Florence Chadwick she gives us an accurate picture of the Christian life We're called to be people, to be men and women and children who keep a mental image of that shoreline, of our final destination in our mind while we run the race for Christ. That that Throughout our lives, we're we're just constantly fixated on that finish line, fixated on that time when we're going to see Jesus face to face, fixated on that time where he's going to embrace us and affirm us and invite us to live all of eternity with him. To reign and to rule with him. Now, I'm, I'm still a young guy, but I, I've got a, a good many sermons under my belt now, and I'm going to do something uh, that I've actually never done before in the last eight or nine years that I, I've been preaching, and and that is, I'm, I'm going to use I'm going to use a prop. So this is a, a new thing for me, but we'll we'll see if it works because there's there's just nothing I, I could think of to better demonstrate this last point. I saw this illustration done a few years back, and and some of you probably have seen it done as well, Um, but I think it just gives us a a better picture of what I'm trying to to convey. So I want you to pretend that this this rope is a timeline of your existence. So this rope, pretend that it doesn't end at the end of the stage, but that it's just infinitely long, okay? That it could just wrap around the the earth several times, okay? So this robe, this is your existence. And this little red part right here, this represents your time on earth. This represents the the 50, the 60, 70, 80, 90 years, however long you got. This represents your, your window here on earth, okay? You tracking with me so far? So you've got a few short years here on earth, a few short years, and then you've got what, all of eternity. You've got millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions, and millions of years. That's a reality, we know this. Now, for some of us, this little red part right here, this is all that we think about. This little red part is all that we think about. We are just consumed with this little red part right here. Right? This, is, this is where all of our attention, all of our, all of our thought is given. And sometimes we think things like this. You, you know, if I, I save here, and I save here, and I save here, then right here in this little part, I'm going to have a really nice life. I'm going to eat really well. Maybe I'm going to travel. This little part right here, it's going it's to look really, really nice. And, and here's why this is crazy to me. Here, here's why this is crazy to me. Now, I don't want to get any emails. I'm not telling you not to put money in your 401K, okay? That's not what I'm saying. Do Dave Ramsey. It's a beautiful thing. But here's what I'm I'm saying. It it is crazy to me that we, we spend so much time just fixated on this little part right here. When the Bible tells us that the decisions that we make right here are going to affect all of this. They're just going to affect millions upon millions upon millions of years. And so why would we spend so much energy, why would I spend so much energy trying to make this little red part a little more comfortable for me, finding a little bit more entertainment, a little bit more enjoyment, a little bit more rest, instead of thinking about how I can pursue a reward that's going to to be with me for millions upon millions of years? Listen, do you, do you know why some people are, are able to sacrifice so much for the gospel? You know those men and women that you, you read about that lay down their life for the Lord, that they're martyred for their faith, or, or maybe, maybe they just give extravagantly, right? Or they're willing to just take in foster care kid after foster care kid, or they just spend so much of their time consumed with, with things of the kingdom and helping people and seeing God's kingdom come. You, you know why people are able to do that? It's not because they're, they're made of, of, of anything different than you or me. It's not because you know God has wired them somewhat differently. It's because they're not fixated on this little part right here. They're, they're able to surrender their lives. They're able to live sacrificially because they are consumed. They're constantly thinking about the millions upon, millions upon millions upon millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of years that they have coming for them. That, that's how you live sacrificially. Not not by becoming consumed with, is this little part of my life, this little sliver, comfortable enough and happy enough and entertained? You know, I, I don't want to make decisions <laughs> like that. And I also don't want to make decisions based on this little red window. I, I don't want to become someone who's just consumed with becoming as comfortable as possible right now. You know, think about this with me for a second. Paul has been—Paul has been in prison, or not in prison. Paul has been in heaven now for 2,000 years. 2,000 years—he's been with the Lord, roughly, a little bit under that. And you know, in light of eternity, I mean, that's nothing, right? I mean, 2,000 years is a lot, but in light of millions upon millions of years, that's just like—that's nothing. I mean, he hasn't even unpacked his bags yet, really. It's just. finding out where the food court is, you know? (laughs) But Paul has been with Jesus for 2,000 years. I I mean, do you think he has any regrets? Now that he's had 2,000 years with Jesus before the throne, worshiping him, praising him, enjoying his his face, enjoying his embrace, do do you think he looks back and says, you know, I, I wish... Sure wish I would have taken some more time to relax when I was on earth. Sure wish I would have eaten a little bit better, you know? Sure wish I would have spent more time trying to get that six-pack just right, you know? Sure wish my my clothes were a a little bit nicer. Sure wish that I, I would have done a little bit more maneuvering, done a little bit more politicking so that I could have gotten in front of the right people, the right influencers, no, I, I, don't think, I don't think Paul regrets a single thing he did for Jesus. I don't think he regrets the, the beatings that he took, the floggings that he took, the imprisonment he endured. I, I, don't think, I don't think Paul regrets any of it. So let us be people, guys, who keep our eyes fixed on that eternal destination. One day... If you are a follower of Jesus and you are here, one day you are going to see Jesus face to face. You are going to have the opportunity to be embraced by him, to be welcomed in to his kingdom. And you will not regret a single thing that you did for him. Let's be people who keep our eyes fixed on the finish line. And as we reflect on this great reward, as we reflect on the millions upon millions upon million years that we have coming for us of enjoyment, of freedom, free from shame, free from anxiety, free from injury or illness, we will be emboldened to live sacrificially for our King. Why don't we stand? I'm going to invite the worship team up now. We, we don't have a lot of time left, guys, but, but here's what I want to do. I want to give us, some of us a chance to respond. And as I've been saying over the last few weeks, it, you know, we want to pray for you regardless of, of what you need prayer for. And so if you need prayer today, we want to pray for you. And so if you're, you're one of our, our trained prayers, if you've been through the, uh, the prayer class, why don't you begin to head to either sides of the stage right now? We did not have enough people praying in, in our first service. And so I would ask, if you've been trained to play, please please head to the wings because we want to make sure that every single person here that wants prayer is gonna have the opportunity to get it. And there's there's a couple groups in particular that I, I just felt like God put his his finger on. Number one, I, I shared at the the front end of the sermon that, you know, that wonderful quote by Corey Tenboom, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And for some of us right now, that's just where you're at just busy. Some of that because of your own mistakes. You know, you, admittedly, you might say, I've overcommitted. I've took on too much. And some of you, you just had a lot just dumped in your plate outside of your control. You're just in a busy season. And you might say, you know, that, I feel like that's my life. I'm, I'm constantly in a rush, constantly trying to make it to the next appointment, constantly trying to put out the next fire. And I feel like there are many days I just miss Jesus, or many weeks, months, I just miss Jesus, I just run right past him. And if that's where you're at, if you're in a particularly busy season, we want to pray for you, that God would help you to remember Jesus Christ, as Paul told Timothy to do. So if you're you're in a place where you'd say, I, I just... I, I need to prioritize Jesus amidst everything I have going on in my life. We would love to pray for you. And then, secondly, you know, I, I said that, that we're called to share our faith because the Word of God, it cannot be changed. God can use people, even as weak and feeble as us. And so, maybe you're someone that y- you love sharing your faith and you've been sharing it regularly. And we want to pray God's blessing over that. We want to pray that God would give you more opportunities to share your faith, more opportunities to use this gift you've been given. But maybe there are others of you here who would say, I I just feel like God is is really really speaking to my heart and and, and prompting me to begin sharing my faith. But if I'm honest, I, I don't have a great track record of doing this. And so we want to pray for you that God would help you as, as you seek to start this, this new adventure of sharing your faith with others, even if that simply looks like praying for opportunities, asking other people to pray for them, and then sharing your story. And so if, if, if you want prayer, that God would help you to be someone who bears fruit, to be someone who sees people come to know Jesus, through your, through your sharing of the gospel, we want to pray for that. We want to pray blessing, we want to pray anointing, and protection for you, And that God would would bless that desire of your heart. And so if if either of those groups connect with you, or if you want prayer for anything, why don't don't you begin to come forward now? We want to pray for you. You can begin to make your way to either side of the stage. We would love to pray for you today. And for the rest of us, why why don't we close by singing one last worship song?